reading at verse 8, but primarily be looking this morning at verses 11 through 14. So starting in verse 8 of Romans chapter 13, it says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And starting in verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He says here that knowing the time, and then he says it's high time. Now, this message this morning is not really about um, the future or some eschatological view or where we are with regard to the end times. I think we, we see a lot of things around us that, that point to things, but what time is it? And what time is it in your life? And where are you at spiritually? in your life with regard to the time. Now, I do think as we look around and we see what time it is in the world and the things that are going on, uh, we can just kind of keep rolling along as is or whatever, but it says it's time to wake up and it's time to share the gospel. It's time to give other people the same hope that we have, if we have that hope. If not, we need to seek it and find it for ourselves. So he says that we need to know the time. Uh, turn with me, and I'll be looking at some other scriptures this morning to help us understand this passage. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 8 through 17. <clears throat> 8 through 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. Now, notice in the passage that we're looking at this morning in Romans, he talks about light and darkness. You see that contrast there, and we'll look at that a little bit more later. But in this passage, and you'll see it in other passages this morning, in this passage you'll also see this contrast of light and darkness. So starting at verse 8 here in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, For ye were sometimes darkness, or at one time you walked in darkness, you were that was what you were. He says, uh, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light or live as children of light. Behave as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now again, he brings in darkness here. Ye were at one time in darkness. Now you're light. Don't go back and have uh, fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, we don't want to do that. He says, but rather reprove them or expose them or bring them to light. Don't get involved in them, but rather reprove them and share what is wrong with them. 
For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved, uh, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Again, the showing darkness is exposed by the light here. For whatsoever doeth make manifest his light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Now that's the same terminology that we see back there in Romans. Awake, if you're asleep, awake and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So then, that ye walk, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and talks about how we are to work together as brothers and sisters, speaking to our, yourselves in psalms, hymns, and so forth, giving thanks to the Lord. But the fact is, he is telling us here, as we are walking in this world, and we are walking, the times, it says the times are evil. And I don't know if you picked that up lately, but we are living in evil times. And, and if you think it's evil here, there are places in the world where it's much worse yet. Fact is, to a certain extent, there has been evil times since the fall of man. And throughout history, there have been times where God's light and God's uh, will has been more accomplished in some nations, some groups of people, and so forth. But evil has been abounding in the world since the fall of man. But it seems as though since the time of Christ... And Christianity, and we're studying that in our Sunday school lesson this quarter, Christianity spread throughout Europe, and it began to be spread throughout the world, and and missionaries early on went into different parts of the world. And yes, evil still existed, but it almost seems that after the church began to be established that all of a sudden we see it almost collapsing around the world in the last 50 to 100 years, and it seems to be getting darker and darker and darker. The light seems to be going out. And it says that that's what we're living in. So it says that we are supposed to be awake, alert, see what's going on. And when it says here to walk circumspectly, the word could be, word could be translated as to walk carefully, with caution. But the word circumspect means exactly that. It's made up of two words, basically, circle and spectacles. We know what spectacles are. We put them on our face. I put mine on and off. While I'm preaching, uh, some of you have them on all the time. Some of you don't need to wear them. That's a blessing. Uh, but you, that's what they're called. They help us to see. And the idea of the circle, the circumspect, means that we look around. When we're, when we're walking in this world, we need to be looking around. Not looking around to seeing what we're missing out on. But so that we're cautious. So that we're observant. So that we understand that we are light in a world of darkness. And we see those things. And, and so we're walking along and we're awake. It says to, to wake up and see what's going on. To understand what the will of God is. We have to pay attention to do that. Now, if we think about a waking out of sleep, and we'll probably look at some other passages that kind of talk about this time and sleep and so forth. But if we think about sleeping, as, as Christians, you can be asleep in a sense 
and not be dead. When you go to bed at night and you go to sleep or you sleep during the day, whatever time your time of sleeping is, depending on your job maybe, and you go to bed and you sleep, uh, you're not dead. But for all practical purposes, you're not all that useful either, really. I mean, you're, you're resting. God designed us that way. We sleep. You're out, we might say. Sometimes people say, boy, they're out like a light. They're, they're really sleeping. Could it be that in my life, in your life as Christians, when it comes to the fact that here we are in a world of darkness, uh, we need to wake up and shine that light, and we're just kind of sleeping right through it? Oh, yes, we're, we come to church, and, and maybe we read our Bible, and maybe we do some of these things, and we're, we're going along as Christians, but in all practicality, to the needs around us, to what's going on in the world, to maybe what's going on in our own lives, we're sleeping right through it. We're just asleep. And God is wanting us to just to wake up. To wake up. Be alert. See what's going on. Uh, you're, 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 the world needs you. Wake up. It's almost as though we would be sleeping and the, the neighbor's house is on fire and... and they're, they're needing help, and there we are. We sleep right through it. We wake up the next morning and look out, and it's like, oh, wow, the neighbor's house burned down. That's interesting. And we find out that the people that were in it perished as well. Is that kind of where we're at in our spiritual lives? I hope not. I hope we're all awake. But to be wise, to walk circumspectly, awake out of our sleep, it says, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give us light. It doesn't say he'll give us light as long as we're sleeping, as long as we're dead. He wants us awake, he wants us alive, and he wants us working for him. Let's go on to First uh, Peter and look at some, some verses there as we think about the time that we're living in, knowing the time and being alert. First Peter, chapter 4. And we'll start reading at verse 7. It says here, But the end of all things is at hand. Now, Peter wrote this a while back. A long time ago. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote this. And he said here that things are the end of all things. Look at what it says there. It says, um, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Pay attention. Watch what's going on. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so again, it's in a setting here of, of brotherhood, and it's talking about love. But it says, the end of all things is at hand, so be sober. And again, watch unto prayer. It seems to me as we, as we look around us, and as we see things changing, as we have in the last eight months or so, things have happened that none of us saw coming. 
uh, in our culture anyway, in our country, as we see these things happening, uh, it says here, the end of all things is at hand. Well, I believe when Peter said this, he was, he was correct at that time as well. Of course he was. The Holy Spirit gave him these words to share. In the sense that the end of all things, this is the church age, this is the last age, and then he says, because the Lord is coming back. And Jesus said in one of his discourses when he was talking about all the things that are going to happen, things are going to get worse and more frightful and on and on and on. And he, what did he say? He said, now, and when you see these things, get discouraged, get just despondent, go into depression and hide under the couch. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. We have things to be excited about as we see these things happening. If we're awake, if we're alive, if we're looking around, if we're light in this world. And when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he's talking about that we're in the last age. And the further we go into it, the more we are toward the end of that age. And as we see things happening, I think even more so we need, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, to have love for each other because uh, there may be a time when we recognize that we are the enemies, in a sense. Uh, Kevin talked about, do we have enemies? I think there are people probably closer to us than what we realize out there. Maybe not as much right in this area, but there are people in, in some areas of the country, as Christians, we are the enemies. That's how they view us. And as more and more of the culture sees us that way, and as we look around us, and as we are observant, we see that we need to be more and more sharing the love uh, and and being connected one with each other, because we're going to need that even more and more as we see the end coming. But Peter says the end of all things is at hand, and if it was then, we're certainly closer today. In Second Peter, just a few pages over in your Bible, if you turn there, Second Peter chapter three. And I think I'm just going to read a number of verses there, a little bit longer passage, but so you grasp it all in its context. We'll read starting at verse 9 and just go through verse 18. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness that are in your lives, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, notice here it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things, these things, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. 
Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we want to, especially there in verse 17 and 18, notice that we want to be steadfast. Uh, we see these things. Let's be aware of it, lest we fall as well. So let's be awake. Let's be ready. Uh, let's not be sleeping through it. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 13, our text. And why should we do this? Why do we want to be awake? Why do we want to be alert? And it says here um, in verse 11 of Romans chapter 13, he says in verse 11, that for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So for each one of us, there was a time, if we are Christians, if we're saved, there's a time when we chose to believe. I believe that's, that's what he's talking about here. Since we believed. And for Peter, it would have been, or for Paul here, it would have been on his road to Damascus. Uh, I think when he come to understand that Jesus Christ is is the, the Messiah, and he b- believed on him. And so for each one of us, there was a time when we believed. And he says that our salvation is now nearer. It's closer than when we believed. So some of you maybe have been Christians for a very short period of time. But our salvation or our redemption or the, the coming, the fullness of that, and when we actually see him face to face, whether it's his return or whether it's we die before that. It's closer than it was. As a matter of fact, it's closer than when I started talking about it. Okay, It's always getting closer if we maintain, or if we, are, if we continue to live in Christ, our salvation is getting closer and closer and closer. And I believe for the church, it is getting closer as a whole as well. Well, I know it is getting closer, and maybe sooner than we realize Closer than we realize. So it's nearer than when we believed. And then he says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And again, he's contrasting this this day, this night, the light, the darkness, and how we are living. And I think the light that we need to be in the world around us. Now, as he says here, Therefore, cast off. And when you have something on you that you don't want on you, you get rid of it. Cast it off. You might be thinking of uh, uh, taking off your jacket if it's hot or something. Uh, I, when I think about casting something off quickly, it would be as if I looked on me and I saw a spider crawling on me, Okay. I'm going to try to cast that thing off very rapidly. I don't particularly care for especially big hairy spiders. They're not my favorite thing in life. So I don't like them. I would cast it off quickly. Get rid of it. I don't want it. But do I have the same uh, anxiousness to get rid of sin or something that's maybe not even sin in and of itself but is, is hindering my Christian walk? Do I want to cast it off with that same intensity that I do something 
like a spider or maybe some of you it would be a snake or whatever it might be that you'd want to get off of you as quickly as possible. But he says to cast it off, to cast off these things. And then down in verse 14, and I want to draw those two thoughts kind of together there. Uh, he says, when we, after we put on the Lord Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So in verse 12, he says, cast off the works of darkness. But if we cast it off, we need to put something else on. In verse 14, he says, make no provision for the flesh. I don't know that there is such a thing, but um, I wouldn't put spider bait on my clothes either to get them to come there so that then later I realize I have to cast them off. But do we do that sometimes with sin? or with things that certainly are not pleasing to God. Make no provision for the flesh or for the works of darkness. And I want you to think about that a little bit this morning because it could be different for almost everyone here. Are there things in your life, are there things in my life, because I thought about this, you know, the preacher has to think about these things before he shares it with you. Are there things in my life that I make provision for or that I provide for that allows me then to be tempted or to actually fall into sin? When we think about provisions, sometimes we think about food and water, the things that provide for sustaining life. Well, if you take those provisions away, Somebody's going to die if they don't have food and water, the things to sustain them. You take those things away, and they will die. But if you keep providing those things, unless there's something else drastically wrong, they're going to continue to live. That's just the way it is. So if there are things in your life, it says to fulfill the lust thereof, uh, of the flesh, if you keep providing for those things, they're not going to die. They're going to keep right on living. And the more you provide, the more they'll live and the greater they'll get. <clears throat> Excuse me, and the bigger they'll grow because you're providing for them. So I don't know what it is for you that you need to cast off that's already hindering you, that's already there, that you may need to get rid of, cast it off, get rid of it, or what provisions that you may be making that you need to get rid of things that you're in your life uh, maybe it's this uh, the this provision is um, maybe it's um, anger or bitterness towards someone that you allow to be there or maybe you even try to kind of drum it up in your mind so that you fulfill the lust of the flesh that that lust that to be angry and bitter and hateful um, it could be a, something you listen to that you know when you listen to it, it does not bring holiness in your life, but it tends to lead you away from God. It, it tends to fulfill those fleshly lusts. Uh, it could be things you watch that you say, well, I'm, I'm going to watch this even though I know it's not good for me. Uh, it could be, uh, could be something on a device that you have. It could be the device itself. That you know when you use it, it doesn't help you and it tends to bring temptation. 
And so when we, you see, Satan, I was thinking about this actually last night. I saw a cat kind of in the darkness. He was sneaking along and he, he was, uh, he, he thought there was something there in the grass he was going to get. And I, I don't really think there was much there, but he was kind of doing this creeping along thing. And you know how they do, they kind of, they're, they're, they're sneaky. And he was watching something and they tend to do that. And, and he was getting ready and he kind of, eventually he kind of pounced on this thing and I'm not sure what it was. I don't think it was a mouse or anything. It might have been an unsuspecting toad or something that got batted around a little, and that was the end of it, because it wasn't that he attacked anything, then it ate it. He just kind of looked at it then a little bit and realized it wasn't what he was looking for. But while I was watching that, I was thinking about, does is that how Satan looks when he's a roaring lion walk, going about seeing whom he may devour? Is he watching us? Creeping in, and he observes us, and he's looking, and he's ready to pounce. And when we put on it, when we provide for something that is going to draw us away, then he is able to attack. But if we make no provisions, that doesn't mean temptations will not come. The Bible does say that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And he's enticed, and then we fall, and then we sin brings forth death. But the question is, do we, do we have these things that we know are not good for us, whatever it might be, the thoughts, the whatever in our lives, uh, thoughts, actions, what we provide for ourselves, that we know maybe even in and of themselves are not sinful, but they tend to draw us away from God and allow Satan then to put temptations in our way that then we end up falling, we sin. And if we don't repent of that, then it leads us further and further away from God. So in this passage, I not only see a casting away of the things that are already burdensome and sinful, whatever, but that we also stop giving any kind of provision for the flesh to then allow Satan to tempt and attack and we fall and and so forth. So what's the antidote for that? What do we do instead of that? Instead of doing that? Well, it says here um, in verse 12, it says that we are, after we, says, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. So there is, if we take something, get rid of that, put something in its place. If we don't replace it with something, it will likely come back. That's kind of how it works. So a very familiar passage I want to read this morning is Ephesians chapter 6. And some of us could probably, I don't think I could, but some of you could probably uh, say this by heart, by memory. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to remember, and we're not going to go in and expound a lot on these different parts, but think about if you are casting off the works of darkness and you want to put on the armor of light, armor which keeps us then from falling and, and actually allows us to be light to the world around us. It says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In verse 10, of chapter 6. Verse 11, now put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the craftiness of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we can spend a lot of time just on that whole concept. But the fact of the matter is, for most of us, we're not fighting some individual physically. It's much higher than, bigger than that. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, not just part of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And notice in this passage, that's on your feet, uh, because the, the gospel of peace, I think, is to be taken to others. It's on our feet, so we can go with it. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then he goes on and asks even for prayer for himself and so forth. But that gives us an idea of what we should put on. If we're going to take cast something off, something should be put on. And it's the armor. It's putting on that armor of God that we see here. Over in 1 Thessalonians, I want to read a few verses there this morning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, And in this context as well, he's talking about, thinking about the times, the seasons, what's going on. And I think I'll just start reading a verse 1 here of, of 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Notice, as brethren, as Christians, we're not in darkness. Uh, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Notice how, again, we see this light, darkness, staying awake, uh, being alert, Watching, for they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. There's a comparison to wicked living and night and darkness. And you can still see that today. If you think about that, even what's going on in our cities in America today, when are the worst things happening in those cities? When it becomes evening, night. And that's when it gets worse. It seems like in the day there's something that kind of repels some of it, not 100%. At night, it gets worse again, over and over. And so there's that comparison here as well. Verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on, here again, putting something on, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, and there it's talking about whether we're dead or alive physically, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even 
as also you do, or build each other up with these thoughts. Going back to Romans chapter 13 now, in verse 13 he says, Let us walk honestly as in the day. Again, he's talking about us being in the day, not nighttime wickedness in our lives. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I talked about the last part of verse 14. I want to look a little bit at the first part. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think Colossians gives us a good picture of someone who has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to turn there. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll start reading at verse 9. Colossians chapter 3 starts out, of course, as if or since ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then we go down and start in verse 9. It says, um, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man. Again, putting it off, getting rid of it. It's, a, it's an act of doing something there to get rid of it. Put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And this is for everyone. Uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, Christ, but Christ is all and in all. And then he says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And here's what putting on Christ should look like. Now, obviously, putting on of Christ is not just replicating these things in our lives on our own strength. It's actually uh, coming to Jesus Christ in faith, believing that he is uh, the Messiah. He died and he rose again, and we are want to be followers of him. We want him to live within us. We understand all of that. But this one, we actually put him on and live like him. Look what it says here. Uh, so, at the last part of verse 12, it says there, uh, bowels of mercy... Uh, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of per perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching, admonishing one another uh, in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us in your word what it looks like to walk in Christ. Lord, you've given us the provisions for that. Help us, Lord, to be cautious, to look around, to see the things around us, and to see them as darkness so that we can be light through you. Lord, help us to truly be light. Help us to urge each other on and help us to be awake and to be alert to the things in the world so that we can respond to those things with your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.